the youth pastor, he said, all the games we played, all the songs I chose, those are out the window. They're not going to connect to anything. And ooh, I haven't talked about this in a long time. I might actually cry. Um, but he basically said that he really felt like there was someone there struggling who needed to hear an entirely different message. Whew, I really haven't talked about this in, in years. Um, wow. And so he started talking about uh, the increasing, the exponentially increasing teen suicide rates. Okay. Okay. Take your time. <laughs> well, I love to cry. I just don't like talk very clearly when I'm crying, which will not be effective for a podcast. Like this bitch loves to cry. So crying <laughs> is great, but trying to talk when you're crying, not so good. And And then just went on just talking about that and talking about how even if you don't feel like you have a purpose and you don't understand why you're here, everything you're struggling, everything you're learning, uh, if you can get through it, it will give you a story that you can use to help other people. And that is something that I carried with me my entire fucking life. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. I'm Casey. And we are entering graduation season. And do you have to go to any graduation party? I feel like we're moving past that point where we're going to graduation parties. Um, but you see the signs everywhere. I can't drive to work without seeing like do people in your area where they put like signs in their yard with pictures of their kids on it and it's like senior class of whatever. Um, do you see that? No. Honestly. No. Not at all, but I don't really live around any people. So yeah, and I don't <laughs> think I know anybody that's under twenty eight. Yeah, you don't. Well, so like my neighbor, uh, his kids are graduating high school. Um, my foster son graduated last year, so he's got friends who are graduating. Um, but yeah, I just like it's everywhere. Everyone's graduating, and that's also summer, so everyone's getting married. Who's planning on getting married? But. Um, Whenever like graduation season comes around, I think of like when you did go to graduations uh, or when you had your graduation. So you graduated from a Christian school. Do you remember like being in a Christian world? I feel like uh, graduation speeches, commencement speeches for high school graduations are like way different than like, you know public school where it's just like go seize life by the balls go to college have a good time but don't have too good a time <laughs> it's just like real shitty like but par for the course encouragement um but with like christian grad i feel like i went to my fair share of like christian type graduation events so like homeschooled graduations were insane i don't know i can speak to that a little bit but um do you remember like was it was there anything notable about your graduation or whoever spoke at your high school graduation no not really i mean if our senior year, like at our school at you know if you were accelerated christian education like you had so few tangible tasks that you were supposed to do other than like finish your stupid workbooks 
but like everybody had to give a speech their senior year. Like that was a part of your like 12th grade English paces. And uh, you could kind of do it on whatever. And I gave my speech on why Calvinism was wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Solely oh because one of my best friends and his family were all Calvinists. And so he just got to sit there in the audience and listen to me going like, uh, you know, God so loved the world and blah, blah. Just just like a total jerk off. Do you remember any of your main points other than God so loved the world? Oh, I think I used all the same cherry picked verses that like counteract all the Calvinist cherry picked yeah. verses. Man, I... So I had a homeschool, like, so a church in my area would do like a graduation ceremony for homeschool kids. So they got the whole like walk experience. So you got the fucking gowns and the hats and shit like that. I don't remember what, I don't remember what mine was. I remember not caring. I remember not being interested in even being part of it because of, I mean, there was a bunch of other homeschooled kids there. And it's like, I don't know any of you motherfuckers. I don't, that's why we're homeschooled. I knew a couple cause they were from my church. Um, but overall I was just like, what, what? Like part of graduation's cool. Cause you're there with your class and people, you know, it's like a big to do when you're just like showing up to a church with like 80 people you've never met before. You're like, why the fuck are we doing this? It doesn't make me feel good about myself. It actually makes me feel worse about my entire experience. Especially when you see the caliber of people you're graduating with. You're like, you know, I've never, I didn't know they made such high-waisted pants for boys and I didn't know you could tuck in your t-shirt so far and so tight. And it's like, <laughs> all, when you're tucking in graphics tees to the point where the graphic is unrecognizable, you're just like, you're overdoing the talk. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, it's like your 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 2004 graphics tee is tucked in so far that it just says like I can only please one person a day. Tomorrow's not your. <laughs> it's like they're tucked in so tight you can only see like the top of Goku's hair. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> just says, uh, give me your your underscore underscore instead of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so I don't remember, I don't remember the speech at mine, uh, but I remember going to a friend's graduation um, uh, who, he was a year behind me and we went, my whole family went for this graduation ceremony at their church. And the guy gave a whole speech on um, his, the, the head the title for is be losers for christ and oh my god yeah dude <laughs> oh, it, and yeah it's as bad as he it's as bad as it's Fuck, like that sucks <laughs> holy shit he sucks so bad <laughs> it and it's just about how like Christ went out and gave himself for this and you know the Christians have always been known as like you know, the whole persecution complex of like 
giving it all up for God. It's like, so lose for God, be losers for God. Everyone wants you to make something of yourself, be your own. Oh, they want build a name for yourself. We don't want that. We're Christians. We want to build a name for Jesus. And we want to do that at our, at a cost for, so be losers for Christ. And it's like, I remember at that time being like, that wasn't bad. And my brother being at a point in his trajectory who is like, that fucking sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Unapologetically being like, that was a bad message. That wasn't a terrible speech. It's like, it's like the exact reason that you're standing in, in a crowd of people just like you. And yet you feel like totally alone and separate. (laughs) It's like, I'm supposed to take pride in the fact that I have no connection to anyone, but you know, I mostly <laughs> just hate myself. <laughs> so I go to a, uh, I go to a mall and I'm surrounded by teens my age and just feel like a, a caged animal. God, going to do. I remember. I don't remember if I've. It's, you can stop me if I've shared the story before, but when one of my uh, like. Uh, youth ministry classes that I took when I was at Liberty. One of the um, one of the assignments was to just go sit at the mall and people watch, so you could just really. It's like you know, what? he this guy, Rich Brown. Shout out Rich Brown. Rich Brown fucking sucked. This guy was the worst. He, <laughs> this guy was so dumb. He thought he came up with the term Christianese. Amazing. He, he, in class, he was like, he's like, and this is like, I, I've heard other people say this, but like, I mean, this is something I came up with and you guys might've heard it before, but you know, I, this is my, I came up with the term. Uh, I, 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 I coined this phrase here. Uh, you might've heard people say they're, they're speaking in Christianese. I'm like, bitch, you did not make that up. Like everyone knows you didn't make that up. But he would be like, his assignment was you had to go and sit in the mall and watch kids like a pervert. And the whole assignment was to write about like what you really saw. And he goes, people are always surprised. But every time I read people's papers on this, it's like they always talk. They're surprised. They you know, we're just so used to living in this world that you almost you forget and you don't realize how lost people are until you really sit there and are just like analyzing it for the sake of that to, to see what was really going on. And of course he gets that. That's what I said. I Oh, my God. These kids walked into Hot Topic and they were like arms around each other. I just didn't even realize how you know, sexualized our culture was. These people are, this guy is just jerking himself off to the assignments that he gives these because he just, it's like self-fulfilling. Like you're grading people based on how traumatized they are by watching a 14 year old go into air apostle. It's like no one, it's fine. It's fucking fine, dude. You're just old and out of touch. Dude. I love Uh, that. I love the thought of just like arguing over something like founding something so trivial. It's mm-hmm. like, like Rick Warren was the Edison to his Tesla. Like, I said it first. <laughs> I imagine there's been several fights over like who, who was the first to, to say the joke, like Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that was a classic. Somebody I remember the first has, time I heard that. Somebody's been really angry over the fact that someone else used that at some point. Guarantee. Dude, he's a joke. Just someone, copyright. Someone just tries to, like, they file cease and desists with any. They just. They use. They scrub the internet for any sermon where someone says Adam and Steve and then send cease and desist letters. <laughs> Freaking Mike Warren kid needs to write his own material, bro. <laughs> uh, I, but uh, another graduation, my sister, when she graduated, um, we were all homeschooled. So another high, another homeschool graduation at, at the same church that mine was at. Um, and, I was all right when she graduated. I'm like seven and a half years old in her, so I was in like she was eighteen. No, I was like twenty three, twenty four, right? Um, just at that point where like I had been shifting out of like I was still, you know, pretty traditionally Christian, but out of evangelicalism at that point, and uh, and that was kind of post me finding. Shane Claiborne's Irresistible Revolution and it's starting me on like a whole new like oh that there's like a different way to be Christian you don't have to just be like a conservative neocon and her who I don't know who gave this speech it was just some like suit and tie motherfucker who was like pretty young in the entire thing was about how it's necessary and important for Christian young Christian men and women to get involved in government because they just go, everything's going so South and that they need good, they need Christian leadership in government and they need Christians to infiltrate the government. So that way they can make legislation that would honor God. It was like, it was just a Christian nationalist speech and it was so brazen and obvious that like, I I feel like more people, people than you would ex- than I would have expected felt kind of icky about it like where I don't know where they found this guy it was just like I don't know it was just like just some regular like we had all these like um, political like debate team type stuff that you could join I, I used to do teen pack i've mentioned that a little bit where you just go and hang out at the state capitol for a week and learn all about how awful government is without christianity and i don't know it was probably someone from one of these organizations that we were always part of but god man listening to this guy tell a bunch of 17 and 18 year olds that like the most important thing they could do is to just get into government to affect legislative change you're just like this is pretty gross. <laughs> Government's the highest calling. Public service. Yeah. Politics. Well, from within a church. Oh, <laughs> just goofy. I find like, I miss it. I would like to go see some more. I should just start um, looking for, I, I bet that same church still does homeschool graduations. Oh, probably. I should go just for something to talk about here. <laughs> well, Yes, we can go ahead and introduce our guest here. We're keeping this one short. We talked to our guest for a little, quite a while. She was wonderful. Uh, her name's Kelsey Galuzzo, but most of you would better know her by her, I guess you'd call it a stage name, of Jetty Bones. Um, she's kind of like an indie pop artist. She, well, you know, like the pandemic did to a lot of artists, it made some 
shifts in uh or had a big impact on the touring schedule and album releases things like that but um we get into the the long and short of it during our conversation but uh she was kind of just on the up and up uh and then you know pandemic hit some mental health crises arrive and she goes through it we get into some of the details i don't want to share even here because the conversation was really fantastic uh we were very thankful for her to take the time to talk to us but she um in 2023 uh she'll refer to this as the pandemos throughout the conversation it was uh she put out like kind of a rough like a roughly recorded uh album uh as in demos and she it was titled songs i wrote instead of killing myself and um really one of the songs kind of started out as a suicide letter note and then it turned into a full album um and we get into kind of some of her whole like roller coaster of an experience throughout our conversation um throughout her career um throughout mental health diagnoses and and getting the help that she needs and uh her story is fascinating uh it was super th- we <laughs> she, she's somebody we wanted to have on a while ago and it you know it finally worked out now that we were able to do this uh, and it worked out perfectly because even since the first time we reached out, there's been so much that's happened. Um, so she was a, a great guest. Uh, and I hope you all enjoy our conversation with Kelsey. Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest, Kelsey Galuzzo, a.k.a. Jetty Bones. What's up, Kelsey? Um, Not much. Just hanging out in my basement laundry room, watching a blanket dry. Just standard stuff. That's what it's doing. I wasn't sure if that was a background uh, choice or just like a, but it's, it's actual, it's practical and serves a purpose. Yes. If I wanted to do a background, I promise aesthetically, it would be a lot more pleasing than that. Um, a cloud? No, that, Is that clouds? That, I don't, I think it's like a, a, a wash, like tie dye, like a cold dye blanket, but it's really soft. So I don't want to put it in the dryer. It's I've maintained its softness for like three years now. And um dedicated to the cause so it's hanging up to dry it is the problem with falling in love with something made of fabric is that it's very yes. hard to take care of <laughs> i feel like we have so my wife and i i you know i'm a progressive man so i do laundry too um mm-hmm. so but we have we, we always have these like articles of clothing that we don't want to dry but we don't always like call that out when it goes in the laundry and usually you know but it's like always just a ticking time bomb on like when someone's going to dry someone else's shirt and ruin their day. And that did happen to me this week. And that's why I'm thinking about it. So that shirt will not fit properly that is- ever again. Cause I don't plan on. Mm, that's why I do the laundry. Yeah. <laughs> I only like to talk about losing weight so I can pretend there's a reason I haven't thrown out my old clothes. Yeah. That's like classic band shirt problem. It's like you, we went to the show and you're like, probably should get a large. I don't need a lot. I'll get a medium. And then you get home and it's like, it's like a long sports bra. And then you like make yourself wear it somewhere. And then the whole time you're like doing the, the, the belly shirt tug, like, like an old guy. <laughs> you need a TC, TC tugger. Yes. That is a, that's one that didn't, stick with me until i realized i was pulling my shirt out of my stomach i it made so much sense after that (laughs) well that's because it's not a joke okay it's not like the snuggie like you don't do pub crawls in them like the snuggie it's not a joke 
TZ Tuggers is serious. <laughs> I need them. You put a ripcord on the front of mine. <laughs> well, Kelsey, I, I uh, sorry, go ahead. No, if you're if you were gonna stay on the I think you should leave topic, I'm willing to stay. No, there for I a I was just gonna say that um, the idea of having like a ripcord with like inflatable clothes is something I've always really enjoyed and thought about. And um, that uh, TV series, Dave, there the like last season had an episode where he has like a ripcord inflatable suit and um it was just very pleasing to me it was totally irrelevant my brain just you said ripcord and i was like inflatable clothes man they do we make those for uh motorcycle stuff like motorcycle racers they have like impact triggered inflatable suits that they wear so it like holds your head in place if you crash and you don't like uh you know tumble yourself into oblivion exactly nice Nice. Okay, sorry. We can we can continue as the actual subject matter of this podcast, unless we're trying to start a new one where we just reference television series, which would be fine with me as well. That is kind of what we do. So we uh, try to stay on topic. Um, our listeners are very aware of the fact that that's not really how things always go, but we'll bring it back here and there. We are interested in your story because I feel like even so before we even hit record you mentioned doing zoom church uh during like the pandemic and stuff and i was doing the same thing mm -hmm. and the fact that you still were at that point i'm like oh i that triggered that there's a lot more through line here than maybe i even thought i didn't mm -hmm. uh i believe I, how how do you feel about your wikipedia page do you read it uh, ever <laughs> okay um i had i actually had this thing a couple maybe like two months ago where out of curiosity, I hadn't looked at it since like 2019. So I decided I'm going to take a deep breath and I'm going to look at my Wikipedia page. So as I was scrolling through it, there's a lot of stuff I saw. And I, so I, I'm clinically diagnosed with OCPD, obsessive compulsive personality disorder. So sometimes if something is incorrect, I, I need it to be correct. Uh, and it's a personality disorder because sometimes I'm an asshole and the social awareness that what I'm doing or how much stress I'm putting on it, I can't um I can't pick up the social cues that it's upsetting other people. I make sure people in my life know that right away. I'm not trying to be an asshole. So if I am, just say, hey, maybe, maybe take a breather and let us know more of what you're thinking. But I was looking at my Wikipedia page, kept seeing things. I was like, that that is simply incorrect. This is <laughs> that's not true. And also a lot of things that I had done myself where credit was being attributed to other people, um, especially when it came to writing the music um, in certain parts of records. So I edited my own Wikipedia page. Nice. Not Did it all stick? of it. Did it stick? Not all, I, I think so. I didn't go back. I didn't. Sorry, I hit my microphone. I didn't go back and check because uh, I only wanted to edit the things that were actually and factually inaccurate. Everything else, I just wanted to word differently because I am a writer, but I, I refrained. I just needed people to know that I do write my own music. Yeah. <laughs> Other people don't do that. We uh, we had Dawson from The Ongoing Concept on, and he had repeatedly tried to change their Wikipedia page so it didn't say that they were a Christian band. And yeah. every single time he changed it, it just got revert. Someone would revert it back. So for like seven years, they he just dealt with that. And he 
was like after talking about it, he's like, I don't know, maybe this will count as a reference and we can actually get it changed. But mm-hmm. um, the reason I asked is because, again, I had mentioned not I don't know the through line of your your Christian upbringing, um, but I know that Wikipedia only quotes a 2012 Tumblr post from you as to uh, <laughs> what it is that you believe. So but, but that probably say- sums it up. Yeah. Well, the the Wikipedia page just says you're a non-denominational non-denominational Christian and raised Catholic. But the um do you want me to read your Tumblr? Oh, please. I put so much late night sad <laughs> teen angsty work into that. Okay. I would love to hear it from someone else out loud. So, anonymous asked, "Are you religious, meaning you have any kind of faith, not necessarily that you participate in organized religion?" I really appreciate the the clarity there uh you said yes i am a christian wait 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 Oops. can you do it in my voice uh no i don't do okay. impressions uh, <laughs> what's an ask sorry go thanks ahead. for trying though so we can do, we'll we'll fix it in post we'll uh okay great you we have uh real serious ai behind us so we can clearly we'll be able to clean that up um sure. yes i am a christian i wouldn't consider myself part of a religion exactly i grew up in a Catholic church, but got out of there in middle school. Just not for me. Non-denominational Christian because God saved my life and Jesus is my homeboy, which was probably a t-shirt you might've had in 2012. I didn't, but <laughs> <laughs> I just talked like that actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's, that's the extent that I have, but just from, you know, here and around. And I know, uh, I feel like we may have had some, uh, alignments on our comeuppance when it comes to music, um a whole like cornerstone bands deal things like that so mm-hmm. it's hard to know where to start because the music have the mu- the music direction is always a blast um but let's just go ahead and start with uh your catholic school upbringing you were you always like was that was it always private catholic school or is that just something uh when did the catholic thing start up for you i know sometimes so- parents make that choice for their kids um, it's funny later. because it wasn't Catholic school. Um, okay. It was just Catholic church. Um, but in high school, I did try really hard to go to a private Catholic school because I didn't have friends and the only friends I had went there. Um, but my family didn't really have money and I didn't understand that private school costs money. So uh, that didn't happen. But when I was younger, like a year and a half old, my parents got divorced. So my mom grew up in a Lutheran church. Um, I would say non-practicing really just kind of holidays uh but i honestly can't really remember ever going to any kind of service with her even for holidays my dad uh that side of the family very italian very catholic in the convenient extremely hypocritical way which i think a lot of people and i i'm not explicitly saying that every part of the Catholic church or every member of each congregation is corrupt and uses it to and rationalize certain things that benefit them. But in my experience with my family and the congregation that I went to, that's what was happening. What Um, was the first, like the first hypocrisy that became clear to you as a kid? And I, I feel like whatever one's hit people first is always interesting. Oh, um, honestly, I think the purity aspect of it Um, and my dad saying that the Catholic church, at least the congregation I went to didn't believe in the rapture, which to me I felt was very black and white throughout the Bible. Um, So that, 
the purity aspect of it uh, because of what was being preached and the stories my dad liked to tell of when he was in the Air Force. Um, and then also <laughs> the emphasis on uh, financial contribute like contributions, th that didn't, it didn't make sense to me when I was younger. I, I felt like it was wrong. And as an adult, I can look back retrospective and see people actively trying to buy their way into heaven, which is so silly to me. There's no other word to describe it. It's just silly. Yeah. Silliness. <laughs> yeah, that one. Always, that was what. So didn't grow up Catholic, grew up evangelical. So we didn't like the cat. We liked the Catholics, but like we knew where they were going when they died and right. different place than us. And that was the one that came up all the time was like the buying. It was indulgences yeah penances yeah. indulgences i don't know but yeah i i, I always it's funny because i i feel like there's some people who grow catholic that were like i don't know that they didn't see it because ultimately like you could argue that like a tithing all the tithing we did it's like yeah you weren't buying your way into heaven but they had a really fucking great sales pitch for why you had to do it so like mm -hmm. the outcomes were pretty similar <laughs> yeah i i definitely i don't know i didn't learn anything about jesus growing up in a catholic church which mm -hmm. that is the cornerstone and the foundation of christianity so they love to say that the catholic church is the only real religion because that's the one that was started you know jesus literally said you're gonna build the cornerstone of my church and that was the catholic church that came from that so why didn't they feel any need to teach anyone or any of the kids even at bible school about jesus that's the thing that also as an adult looking back, I I don't get that. How are you supposed to really educate children in a way where they can choose to follow that faith if you're not telling them what the core of it is supposed to be? That makes sense. Yeah, but it's I almost also... like a dependence on just the traditional aspect of it. Uh, tradition for the sake of tradition, which is what a lot of people's experiences is in religion in general. But um evangelicalism lacked traditions to like mode. I don't know. It's like when you, when I, there wasn't like that thing to bring you back, like for the sake of doing it or the, it's like a right. comfort even over time where you're just like, I, I, my, one of my previous bosses was Jewish. Um, and he would, he had invited me over to his house for a, a Seder, my wife and I, and we, um, we're talking to a bunch of different people at the table. Some were at previous Christians who converted to Judaism. One was becoming a rabbi who grew up Christian. One was Jewish, but an atheist. And you talk to all these people and you're like, it's kind of sick the way that like you're all still here doing this around these like traditional concepts. But that's I know they I know they hold on to those a little bit more. Catholic traditions are I like I mean, maybe you like stale wafers and stuff like that. So it, that, if that works for you, that's fine. But um not quite the same. My point is evangelicalism uh, kind of like craps on tradition and yeah, like yeah. ritual. <laughs> I feel like uh, yeah. it's almost like, uh, you know, it's like you exercising, like you don't always feel like exercising. It's not always like a, 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 a transcendental experience going to the gym and like just doing your reps. Sometimes it's just, going there and going through the motions and saying like, okay, I did it. Like I got through it. I committed and I did this thing that I said I would do. And that's almost kind of how like tradition is, which you can't have all that. It can't be all 
just going through the motions, but then like evangelicalism is like so heavy on like the other side of it, where it's like you almost should have like a, you know, like an epiphany and a spiritual awakening like every Sunday or else like maybe you're not really tapped in the way other people are. I don't know. It's tough. It's like one way or the like too far one direction or the other gets very difficult to uh, keep up with. I feel like even on a psychological level, there are so many studies that show that routines are positive for us. So mm -hmm. I feel like a, a lot of the tradition in church with, you know, religions that primarily focus around a routine, like you were saying, it is tapping into that psychological need for consistency, even if there isn't necessarily a faith element under it. I think those people end up believing that the routine and the tradition they're doing is positive and beneficial for them. They're raised in it. They're taught not to doubt it, not to second guess it. And then they die being happy that they had that for their entire lives, which I think is great. If that's, if that serves people in a positive way. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. Which is why you'll see the same benefits in like non-theistic religions mm -hmm. where it's just like, that's like the commitment to practice for practice sake or for even grounding sake, you know, like having that grounding post of like, here's an ethos or a, a set of values that you can anchor yourself to. Cause without that, it's just like, uh, oh, you just kind of, I mean, I, I struggle with that even like as I've, excuse me, steadily become uh, less re religiously committed, I guess um, I'm 35. I was super committed to this through, I mean, I mean, through my into evangelicalism through my mid twenties started leaving that in around mid twenties. Um, and then kind of just in the past couple of years have had some more dramatic faith shifts. Uh, but I'm like, even still, like it was, I, I could, I can see, I'm, I was thinking about this even today, like benefits that I saw in my life from having a commitment to that, uh, that collect it's like a collective set of values where like some of the things that I feel like I, did that added value to my life and were some of the most impactful life experiences I had were because of, because of that. And I know now that with not having that so much is like, I, lo I feel like a, a, I've lost a certain connection and I don't, it's hard to even get it back or I don't really know the path to, to really find that in the same way again, but that's strange. But enough about, sorry. I, like, now I he just not, emails want... Russell Brand videos to his mom and dad. <laughs> That's it's his a, Sunday I mean, that's, ritual. It's a positive life decision. And I, kn I know you kind of ended there feeling like you're on a tangent, but it's kind of, I was having that like old woman moment where I'm like, mm, yes, yes. Mm -hmm, mm. Cause I, um, my, so my church currently, they do uh, seasons. So they do like a season of service, which we're in right now, um, a season of learning, a season of giving. And to be totally honest, I can't remember what the other one is because I probably don't care about it as much. But uh, community, I don't know. I don't know. But the season of service is my favorite. And they do this huge uh, community citywide day with a bunch of other churches where it is just a week uh, and a long weekend of volunteer work, charity work, drives, going door to door in neighborhoods if you can help with anything. And I I have not been attending lately. I've been watching the services online when I can, but that was something that hit me when I saw that was coming up where I was just like, 
wow, this is this is a really big part of my life that is missing. But I was so focused on everything else that I needed to fix. I forgot about and kind of abandoned the one positive thing that was working for me. So it's interesting that you said that now because I was thinking about that last night before I went to bed. Yeah, it's funny. There's this uh, push and pull of like, I, it's like you, you, when you're in certain things, you get tired by it because it's exhausting. You just, you want your free time. But then after a while, you just kind of sit in your own self for too long and you feel like that's kind of ruining you. And then you just teeter back and forth between unhappiness is, you know, a depressed person's way of looking at it. But it's all like mm-hmm. it, it's, it, it kind of in between those shifts, you're like, I finally found it. You're like, I don't like this anymore. And you kind of just bounce. I don't know. You bounce back and forth for a while. You got to get back on the landscaping crew. Yeah. <laughs> like there's like an old man with a wood pile full of hornets that needs moved. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's got your name on it. That's all I need. <laughs> little danger, little excitement. I do have something to add about growing up in the Catholic church, though, that I thought of that might um, offer some really nice comic relief. Yes, um, I I actually got kicked out of Sunday school. I, think I, I love went this already. Three times. Um, I was in elementary school. Um, so this was before I had found the first non-denominational church that I was going to, which is a whole separate and very life-altering story for me. Um, but I was sitting in Sunday school, and we were going through Genesis in the kid-friendly version, and. You know, we're talking about how God <laughs> made everything. Kind. Yeah. How actually valid, very valid statement. Um nobody nobody wants to hear the heavy. But anyway, sorry, I'm I'm very tangent-ish. I just need to close my eyes when I'm talking so I don't get distracted by anything. Nobody likes to talk about the part <laughs> where giant angels fuck a bunch of humans. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. No. Why would you even bring that up? <laughs> this That's is my favorite part. This is my my PG. My favorite Pornhub category. <laughs> it's really been taking off since the pandemic, if we're being honest. Yeah. <laughs> That's the fourth season, Blood Reckoning. Mm, that yeah. one's my favorite. It sounds like a good meal. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm a vegetarian, so that was funnier to me. Um, You'd get it at like a wild game party at some rod, at gun club or whatever. No, it's a special at KFC. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so I basically we're going through the, the whole story of creation and, you know, this day, this was made this day, blah, blah, blah. And then the day of rest. So I raised my hand and I don't remember her name. Let's uh, can just throw out a name. Give me give me a random. Rebecca. Miss Rebecca, if God made everything, who made God? To which she said, um, God was just always there. You know, he's always existed like the air you breathe. And I said. Miss Rebecca, you just said God made air. <laughs> so it was not it was not positive, I guess, for her because she couldn't answer it. So I remember exactly what she looked like. I remember she was wearing I'm terrible at names. I guess I was as a child too. I'm pretty sure I was in like second grade at this point. Um, so I didn't find this out until maybe fifth, sixth grade. Because my dad was laughing about it. Um, apparently, she pulled him aside afterwards and asked me not to come back because she was afraid I would uh, disrupt the faith of the other children. Ooh, what a fragile, Ooh. weak faith. She she thought you were a rascal. She thought you were getting fresh and you were just seeking knowledge. I said, but like, who made God, though? 
Is there a person in the world that hates being questioned more than elementary school, Sunday school teachers? I actually kind of am one and I love it. Oh, my dad. (laughs) This regular I I have at the coffee shop who uh, accused me of getting a fake coffee degree online when I went through a year and a half of training to get my SEAA certification. So he made me really mad the other day. I probably shouldn't say that out loud. He's not going to listen to this. A fake coffee degree. What's uh, What name did he ask you to write on a cup? Nothing. We don't write on cups. Uh, he just asked me a series of Starbucks, really. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not I like I like how personal it is there with the names on cups, you know? I greet most of our regulars by name when they come in. Does that count for anything? Well, yeah, with his, you can just hold it in the air and be like, jerk off. Yeah. Jerk off. <laughs> Same first letter. Yeah. No, I just hate I have I have a very, very strong sensitivity to people making assumptions that are actually very degrading and they don't realize it. So. Is that why aspects of Christianity became problematic for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't think about it like that. Um, I actually the only time it was ever problematic for me was uh, when I got kicked out of my first band for having a crush on a girl. But we'll get there. Oh, we have mm. we have ground to cover. Um, all right. So for okay, Catholic school, uh, Catholic church. Sorry, I don't know. I keep saying Catholic school. I feel like a doofus. Um, you find an evangelical church. What is the uh, appeal of evangelical church? You seemed like you were getting a little disenfranchised there with Catholic church, but how did the evangelicals find you, or how did you find them? Okay, sixth grade, um, first year in middle school at uh the the small local school that i went to so there's two elementary schools they combine into one middle school and then you're with those people through high school etc there was this girl who rode my bus also the first time i ever had to ride the bus because i always had either my older sister to take me to school or my stepfather was a gym teacher at the elementary school so first time riding the bus i have no friends i'm absolutely terrified of being in this giant long hot dog car with a bunch of kids that are just staring at me because I am like soft goth at the time uh 100% like like going to school with my um my little Ramones like side messenger backpack and like a blink 182 shirt absolutely every day there's like not a day where that was an exception and if I wasn't wearing a blink shirt it was a blink hoodie so there's this one girl who I thought was (laughs) crazy Highest pitch voice I've ever heard acted like the embodiment of a real life anime character. And I just, I couldn't stand her because I was a little asshole, you know, and she ended up, um, this is a well, trigger warning for suicide. Um, but I, at that point, the previous year had lied my way out of counseling, um, was very heavily struggling with suicidal ideation. And at that point, that was the first sixth grade? time. Still sixth grade, you said? Yep. Sixth grade. Um, Yeah. I started going to counseling in fourth grade for self-injury. But my, yeah, my brain decided that it hated me at a very young age. And I think everybody thought it was something that I would grow out of. Um, But there are some mental health issues that just stay with you forever. Um, And that's kind of, that's why I'm so open about them because I think there's too much emphasis on the need to fix, correct, get better. So the people who are really struggling and will forever because that is their brain chemistry and it can't be corrected, you can't change it. You just have to learn how to cope, how to shut those voices down, how to ignore it. And this was actually something 
that started helping me because she had um, tried to be my friend and I ignored her. She was in every single class that I had to homeroom to the end of the day, every single class, the only person. And I had made this plan after like the third week of school where I just decided I was done. That was my new chance to make friends. The only friends I had kind of had that thing where they got hot over the summer in sixth grade, the sixth grade version of hot, you know, they got their back to school wardrobe at air apostle or whatever. And I was so left behind their acne cleared up early. Yeah. Assholes. (laughs) Meanwhile, I was like very small and hit like a weird puberty where I was still short and small, but I was not effeminate and had that weird Italian like boob sprout thing, which has completely disappeared. Praise Jesus. <laughs> and um, cause I would not be able to stand up straight, but I, I went through that. So it was just very much the opposite. It gave something for the boys to pick on me about. They made something for the girls to also tease me about because they're like, oh, well, why, why don't you take advantage of that? Or point at me in the gym room, which was the first time, like the gym locker room where I'm changing in front of other girls. Also, having realized the previous year that I was getting crushes on girls as well. So it just this, all of these things are happening at the same time. So I made my first exit strategy, uh, we'll call it, to unalive myself. And the same day where I like went home, I even took a couple things, gave them to old friends, et cetera, wrote a a middle school version of a will, uh, took an hour nap with my cat and then said, okay, this is the day. Um, this I don't, girl. I don't want to be like that guy, but who got all of your stuffed animals? I didn't have any at that point. Okay. Sorry. Carry on. It was, it was really the like 200 pack zipper case of CDs that was important to me. Ooh, which, oh yeah we're all going to get sent to California for my brother. Cause he sent me most of them very influential on me. Sent me my first instrument, sent me every blink one eighty two CD. I read this on right Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> a bass guitar. Mm-hmm. I still have it. It's a uh, over, it's in a case over there somewhere. Um, but yeah, so I, she had invited me to this youth group that was right by her house. So this, she lived maybe two minutes away from me. The church shared a parking lot right beside her house. Invited me to go to this youth group called The Rush. Um, So I said, okay, I'll go. Because it was the same night. I asked my mom. And the only reason I agreed to go is because I thought, in a really sick way, I thought it would hit people harder if I went to a youth group and then um, died by suicide the same night. Damn, that's premeditated. Yeah, so I said, "This, this just adds like, an extra twist to it. So I remember I was sitting in that room. It was a skate bowl in the back of it, like a half like bowl. And then bands playing. They covered a Blink-182 song, the you worship band did. Home. Pretty progressive. I did. Yeah. The and then they, 90s? when they, uh, let's see. I graduated in 2011. So yeah. early 2000s. Around early 2000s. Yeah, early 2000s. So I, I had never seen worship. Obviously, growing up in a Catholic church, I had only seen singing from hymns. So when all of these kids are worshiping, I'm seeing, you know, kids in a couple grades older than me that I know from the skate park. I'm seeing girls that are in high school who I looked up to because I thought they were so pretty, but they were also nice to me in elementary school. And I remember looking down during worship and seeing this girl who was either a sophomore or a freshman at that time and seeing cuts all over her arm. 
And this was someone who I just thought was light years away from me. And then seeing her worship, it kind of tipped something into me where I resonated with the pain she was feeling, even though I thought she was untouchable. Um, Q, she's so high. Um, <laughs> but then the the pastor, like the youth pastor, he said, all the games we played, all the songs I chose, those are out the window. They're not going to connect to anything. And ooh, I haven't talked about this in a long time. I might actually cry. Um, but he basically said that he really felt like there was someone there struggling who needed to hear an entirely different message. Whew, I really haven't talked about this in, in years. Um, wow. And so he started talking about uh, the increasing, the exponentially increasing teen suicide rates. Okay. Okay. Take your time. <laughs> well, I love to cry. I just don't like talk very clearly when I'm crying, which will not be effective for a podcast. Like this bitch loves to cry. I love talking <laughs> about how I'm crying. I have my sign on my merch table. It used to say crying is normal. I had limited hand printed shirts that said crying is fucking normal. Deal with it. Um, so crying is great, but trying to talk when you're crying, not so good. And And then just went on just talking about that and talking about how even if you don't feel like you have a purpose and you don't understand why you're here, everything you're struggling, everything you're learning, uh, if you can get through it, it will give you a story that you can use to help other people. And that is something that I carried with me my entire fucking life um, to the point where I had to stop because I was running myself into the ground. I stopped caring for myself. I was only doing everything for everyone else. Um, mm. But I decided to go back the next week. I said, I'll give myself one more week and I'll go. Um, I made so many new friends the next week. And then the week after that, I made more, more friends that went to my school. And it just, I had a community where I felt like I belonged. And I had somebody who the first time I, I ever met them made eye contact with me and told me to stay alive when I hadn't told anybody what my plan was. So when you like that Tumblr post that you referenced, when I say it saved my life, I mean, it literally saved my life. Wow. That. Yeah, sounds like uh, some divine serendipity. Heavy stuff for a for a youngster. I mean, sixth grade, that's a, that's a lot. When I was like t t 11, 12, 12, maybe I think I was 12. Yeah, I no, I was. Uh, yeah, 11 or 12, because the next year at a, a Christian New Year's Eve event, a 17 year old was hitting on me and then found out I was 12. And that was a joke <laughs> for a long time. All of me, all of my friends that were their age would just come up to me randomly and go, she, you're 12. <laughs> so it's that. Wow. So Ugh. you, that's where you found like, so you, you stayed with that community for a while, like through high school. Was that like your connection to your, your Christian connection and community for a while? Yeah, I actually, so I stayed there um, for all, like all throughout the rest of middle school, seventh, eighth, ninth grade freshman year I actually was going to a lot of local shows and that was 100% we all know this the era of churches and Christian venues that are often skate parks things like yep. that so growing up in that Ohio saved it was our attic. lives well yep, not in the attic. same way that stuff saved your life but uh metaphorically speaking it was no, like same thing. that that like it created our personalities. Yeah, it gave it allowed me to have a personality that like because you know, everyone's trying to adopt one, right? You're like you have your group that you fit into. No one wants to feel like a floater completely. So you're like, I was like, I that's like what provided me that. That's it. 
I found it. That's what I'm going to be. So then you, you know, trade in all of your clothes for band t-shirts and black jeans and studded belts. And you found your people. I still have my white studded belt for middle school. I will not get rid of it. Ooh. Oh man. I wish I still had mine. Yeah. You're, you rocked the white. You did rock the white studded belt. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to bring it back. Can't, can we? Hot topics are closing all over the nation. How can we bring back the white studded belt? <laughs> it's almost time because like right now it's like all the stuff that was popular in like 2001. Right before. Big. Mm. Yeah, Everybody's well, wearing the- like low cut Gooch jeans, you know, knit Please tops. Don't say all Gooch. That. Please don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. We need a, I need a lot. The black studded belt thing and the black studded bracelets are back. I've seen them on TikTok. I went on tour with the TikTok artist. It's a thing that's happening. But we need to transition to the white. And then it's got to be the lime green. Yes. The rainbow. Rainbow ones were always a thing, too. I never a, had one. Add a splash like, of color to it. Kind of like writing. it's like the um, it's like the firmament that separates the waters. You know, it's like the rainbow belt that separates the black tee and the black pants. You have to have the one belt on your jeans and then the one that's just like over your shirt that's like mid thigh length. That's the dose belts. I remember that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Band name. Dose belts. Dose belts. Uh. Yeah. I want to <laughs> skip back to that period where like my whole persona was bleeding cowboy font. <laughs> that was my that was my best years. It's all been downhill from there. <laughs> I was famous on MySpace and people used to steal my, uh, my, what do they call it? My profile themes. I would code them and build them myself and people would steal them. The t- that was like the I'm ultimate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was the ultimate sign of disrespect cool. during the MySpace heyday. I was Kelsey fucking Delta. You're going to take, <laughs> you're going to take my profile. Kelsey Delta. <laughs> yeah. That was my first band that actually, uh, look at this good cigua. We've got, what sorry i was gonna say that seriously but i i wanted you to know that i is that I how you sp- supposed to say that segue <laughs> it depends how do you say croissant i know i'm pretty sure it's dang it there go my headphones again i'm pretty <laughs> sure it, it's segue always and forever um i can't hear segue without thinking about the ceo driving one off of a cliff <laughs> the dream didn't do that. <laughs> Too bad he didn't have one of those uh, ripcord outfits to save his life. <laughs> Dude, I just remember, like, every time I hear Segway, I think of, I'm not going to get specific, but I remember a couple that we knew got married very young. And, like, one of the few things you saw from their honeymoon was that they were on, like, a guided Segway tour with the bike helmets on. Yeah. <laughs> 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 that's canned fun right there yeah. so what you're saying is you are so jealous i would do a segue to her today because he got married We're... late which was six months after that couple mm. so they stole the idea from you so it's actually this like huge contention point because you were like you you already posted it online. I can't. I can't do it now. <laughs> he, he already I, I had. Was, a... I wasn't daring enough to copy their MySpace theme. You, you know already I mean? had a romantic segue tour booked for you and your fiance, and you're just like, God damn it! She's gonna think I stole it. <laughs> Haunted segue tour. Let's make it a thing. <laughs> yeah, there we go. A ghost hunting segue tour. Ghost hunt. Ah, yes. You have to like. You have the full like. 
well, the Ghostbusters backpack on while also segueing. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So segue. Speaking of segue, how so did uh, what we were <laughs> how did what we were talking about uh, segue into your uh, next your next story? Yes, the segue I identified. Um, so you asked if how long I, I stayed with that church. So I um, started going to those shows that were hosted by churches, a lot of Christian venues. I'm from Ohio, which means I grew up with like the Devil Wears Prada and things yep. like that. Like my first show that I ever went to was the Devil Wears Prada's first show ever at 180 Skate Whoa, Park. Um, nice. Their their drummer Dan was actually playing in two bands that same night. Um, yeah, just that. You know, was that pre Reptar King of the Ozone, right? That they had the yeah. mm-hmm. they had they literally didn't have any music out yet. So amazing, good, good times that growing growing up going to those shows. So I started um, these shows in middle school. I, I would go, I would come home, find every band on MySpace, add them, send them a great set tonight message. You know, just trying to make friends. And after one show at this place called The Actor, I had. I had like a, a solo MySpace music account, which is still up and you can hear really crappy my first ever demos. Um, and a couple of people from one of the bands found that page when I added them and they wanted to start a quote unquote girl band. So they a female fronted project. And this was I think Paramore had just released their first record. Um, so I auditioned to be in this band with pressure by Paramore and they I, I remember them saying yeah you hit all the high notes sure let's do it so <laughs> I was in that band which was called Delta Delta for um, a while and that was really where I, I would say like the beginning of the life that I still lead but they were all raised by pretty hyper conservative Christian parents so I got kicked out of that band because my best friend um someone who still identified as female at the time, who I, I did have a crush on. Um, and he is a trans male who has given me 100% permission to explain that he did identify as female at that time because it is so crucial to my story. So there were rumors starting because I was friends with someone who at the time was a quote-unquote lesbian. Um, so everyone was talking about that. They sat me down and had an intervention with me. So Amazing. I got to love that. That very good, good Christian, Christian love. love. I love that. Yeah, I miss uh, that even. It was a. I was the face of the band, so if I didn't align morally with what they thought, I couldn't be in that band anymore. So they kicked me out. Um, I started dating that person. Uh, that was like my high school sweetheart, and that was my time that made me a very fuck the church person. Fuck the church. I and imagine they I for didn't give you the two thumbs up on that then. No, we didn't talk for years. We didn't talk until I, th- I think it was four years. If we saw each other at shows, it was because we divided the scene. There were people who found out why that hated them. And there were people who supported them because that was the culture at the time. So it was it was just it was really rough. Like the the core people in Ohio's prominent like Dayton music scene were split in half at the time. And it was my fault. <laughs> That's so wild. Uh, in the the church that you were part of, they ha- did they have uh did they thumbs down that too? Were you? Mm. So they didn't know. I had never I had never said anything about it. Um, and your that... old band didn't narc on you for the sake of. No. 
we went to different churches. So I had a little bit of safety net there. Um, but the, I had already had a little bit of a divide with some of the people in my church, um, about six months before I started this band, uh, one of my best friends from youth group actually died by suicide as well. So you, I did it. I had a very heavy little, little kid life, which is funny because I'm pretty happy externally on the outside. I've learned to, I've learned to protrude joy because I have to, or I will die. <laughs> oh God. It's a little thing. It's but that, how, thing. I mean, that's off. I feel like that's, uh, has to be common right because the amount of people i mean it could just be a platitude but the amount of people who know someone who died by suicide everyone's like they were so happy all the time they we you never would have seen it like there was it's always that um so there's got to be fairly common to like feel like you got to stay in in that zone right yeah and there's this it's like you also don't want anyone to know and if you're already hurting all the time you you don't want to put that on other people and if you're struggling with depression suicidal thoughts you most likely already feel like a burden so why would you want to carry yourself in a way that makes you feel more like a burden on other people that's and i mean with with my uh friend her name's laura i've talked about her a lot because it was very very pivotal we had a we had an anti-suicide pact because we both struggled with it so we had this agreement where if one of us failed and didn't make it the other one had to stay alive no matter what and lead a life that was so good that you could split it between two people and the accomplishments would still be superb uh as i worked God, that's one hell of a pact i worked through a lot yeah and then she died and i spent so long being oh. so mad but i i've worked through that a lot a lot of my therapy um, that I started in at the end of 2020 was unpacking how I turned what could have been good motivation into like this ghost that was haunting me because I would get mad because I would struggle with those suicidal thoughts and be like, how dare you leave me here with this promise? I, I'm done. I want to leave. I want to exit the room, but I can't. Um, but I'm also I'm thankful for that now because I'm properly medicated and I'm glad that I'm alive. So there's that there's a lot of, you guys didn't know that you were going to be talking to a real sad <laughs> bitch <laughs> no i i mean i had some inclination that we were going to traverse some of this territory when your most recent album was songs i wrote instead of killing myself so that kind of like set the scene a tiny bit but mm-hmm. yeah but i'm going to i'm going to condense the the church journey so you can ask me questions where you see fit um cuz i i really was all over the place but it's played such a prominent role in my life that it it could be a 4 hour conversation which sure. we don't need to do because my voice is high pitched enough that there are people who probably immediately turn this off i'm aware i'm aware <laughs> well, um but if still listening to us ramble they're probably just along for the ride whatever Whatever we put I feel out, like <laughs> I've tried really, really hard to not do voices. I default to like character voices a lot, um, but I try not to do that on podcasts because it's just I've had people tell me it's very disorienting. <laughs> um, well, give me an Ohio so accent. To... What what is, what in your mind is an Ohio accent? My voice. <laughs> Ohio is the most. <laughs> Ohio is, is actually voted and rated the quote-unquote most neutral state accent in the united states is it really well and then you got michigan mm-hmm. like just north that's where i grew up and michigan is just like mm. it's 
it's kind of like trashy Wisconsin, like accent wise. I don't know. I always, I always thought like gro- growing up, I always thought Michigan boys had cute accents, but that's just because I was very much in love with Jordan Dreyer from Law Dispute after seeing them play in the dirt at <laughs> Cornerstone so many years. Um, please don't. They follow me. Cornerstone do Can that. You edit that out. <laughs> 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 oh no, I did. I think Cornerstone is definitely something we should talk about, but let me, let me do my bullet point thing real quick. So, um, left kind of left that church. Cause that friend, she had actually called me right before and had tried to get in touch, but I had just started, um, practicing. So it was like six months before our first show. Cause we had started rehearsing. We're already bands. I was so busy with the band stuff and getting, um, ready, like getting sets together, writing our songs that when she reached out to me with just a, hey, can we catch up? It'd be really good to talk. And she called me after I wasn't supposed to be on the phone. I picked it up. I hung up. And then she was gone. And I carried that guilt for a really long time because I was prioritizing selfish endeavors. And that was when music for me became something where I realized I could write songs that were about what I was struggling with, or I could write songs about people I had crushes on. And I saw a very strong contrast and the and the dichotomy between those two things and how they impacted other people especially as a female artist you get written off so quickly if you're writing love songs and I realized that as um like a 15 year old so I wrote some songs about her and people really resonated with that um and that again changed what I shared but that I started pulling away from my church and I don't I don't think it was really the fault of any of them it was just that I felt a lot of pain every time I was there and I sat in the same seat and she wasn't. Mm. Um, so I, I just kind of started drifting and I think leaning into the Christian music scene instead, that kind of became my church. So I, I stayed there and then I, I still considered that my church until summer of 2011. I went on a tour with 21 pilots. I was just helping a friend's band and this was before they were even signed to Fueled by Ramen. It was actually that tour that they had the meeting with the Fueled by Ramen reps. Oh, um, Yeah, and they I had had a conversation with Josh where I had said that I was looking for a new church and I knew they were both Christians and anybody who is as passionate about what they do as they are and is also a Christian probably has a really good church. Um, so he actually recommended going to Tyler's church, which is still my church to this oh, day. Oh, no way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think becoming friends again with a group of people, um, you know, uh, I would I would drive an hour and 15 minutes to the house where uh, Tyler and Mark, uh, who is runs Real Bear Media and does all of their media stuff. Mark is still one of my best friends. He literally called me today just to ask about my cat. Um <laughs> But having that community where I think I kind of became like their younger sister that they also kind of saw as their age, because I was just a few years younger, having those people where I could go over there, stay up talking about life, having questions, having doubts, um, seeing the correlation between art and how it can help people. And then also watching 20, 21 Pilots just take off yeah. and how hard they worked. That was something to me. I It, it changed my perspective on everything. Um, but that was, I think the thing that really put me back on a faith journey. That's, if, yeah. Real, yeah, that makes a lot. Of, I, so I think what's, uh, 
what I think is really interesting about that is, I mean, we're living in just like the zeitgeist is like ex evangelicals at this point. I mean, even media has grasped those, those straws. Um, every like few months, there's a new documentary about some fucked up church or family or something right. like that related to Christianity. So like, that's clearly what people are interested in. Um, and I think so. I mean, you, I mean that obviously exists for a reason, a lot of legitimate reasons for people to feel the way they do. I am like, like, but so much of it was just like this juxtaposition of like truth and lies and which one's which. And, uh, when the cognitive dissonance kind of sets in, people are like, I can't really hold this intention with this. And uh, what I'm hearing is like, you kind of bypass some of that by finding like kind of like real people in an environment that was just a safe place to be a real person. Um, and you didn't have to like, it didn't become all about like this, like these um, just, just the, I can't, I'm trying to like articulate, but just this idea of like, is it true or is it not? Like, I feel like right. those become inconsequential concepts. Um, at least if you have a, a life of faith that goes deeper than just, you know, these like concrete ideas of right, wrong. What happens if I break the rules? Like when you break out of fundamentalism, essentially. Um, and I think people's got stuck in like the fundamentalist lane for so long that their brains are just like, adapted to that um right way of thinking so they just had to shift out and even still i think casey and i talk about this a lot but you find fundamentalism on in the same side the people who leave evangelicalism you kind of see fundamentalism on on some of those <laughs> other spectrums as well too uh just a different team so i don't know i think i think that's what i find fascinating about people like the, what you're saying is being able to like find these people and rekindle that faith connection uh it doesn't feel like you were like and i'd like obviously you to speak to this but i you nothing about your story was so far as well it just didn't you know i read some science books and it didn't really make sense anymore like it's not that it's it it's something more than that so your your reason for leaving didn't just like just have to like balance one idea versus another. Like maybe think there's a space to hold two things together at once. Yeah, I definitely, I, I feel like most people just get bored with it. Like they hit an age where if you grew up in the church, um, especially if it wasn't your own choice, you just are out of it. And I, I did, I did have another circumstance where I almost left. I just, I was going every week to my church. I would be the last one there. I would be the first one to leave. I wouldn't talk to anybody. And I kind of um, approached my pastor um, and gave him a courtesy notice after being there. Gosh, I think this was like 2015, maybe. Um, after being there for years at that point, every single week, I just walked up to him and I said, you know, the people I was friends with who I came to this church with, they're gone most of the time. I feel like I lost my community. Anytime I make friends, it's because they're trying to use me to get to those people. Um, and that was a, a real big side effect of like being introduced as a, a group of in the friend group that was around 21 pilots. I couldn't make friends at my own church after they got famous, hmm. even, even when I wasn't really hanging out with them anymore, because it would be two, three weeks or, you know, when they would be home, if we were going to go get lunch, it would be those people I thought were friends being like, well, well, aren't you going to invite me? 
well, I would like to hang out with them, that kind of stuff. So I oh just, my God, that's so, I just that must gave have up. sucked. Yeah. It, it sucks that's a so shitty bad. feeling. It sucks so bad because I, I was like, this is supposed to be my safe place in my community. And I can't have a community because nobody is seeing me at all. Um, so I, I approached our pastor and had, um, I don't have anything bad to say about this church. So his name's Joel. Um, I, and anybody can literally Google like Tyler Joseph church or whatever. Um, but I approached Joel and I basically said, Hey, I'm, I'm not going to be coming here anymore. This is my last week. And this is why. And it was funny because I had already decided that. And when I was leaving, he said, Kelsey, and he called me over and he's like, how have you been? I haven't talked to you in a while. And I said, it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. This is kind of my last service. I just kind of want to say bye. And this is why. And he said, well, have you considered serving? Have you considered getting involved? And I, I hadn't at that point. I, you know, I would, I would kind of hang out and help with small things, but I had never actually committed to serving. Um, so obviously the first thought was helping with worship because I'm a musician, but I said, okay, I'll give it a try. Just put me where I'm needed. Just put me somewhere where you need help. And he said, you know, there are a lot of people who have no idea who you are friends with. And we have a lot of new members who are actively serving who, who won't know and who don't care. So I, um, I had a meeting a week later with someone, his name's Dan, and he is in charge of the elementary school, um, kids church. So he's one of these pastors there and we sit down, we're talking and he was like, Oh, it's funny. I, I know your old band, like your MySpace band. And oh, no we, start talking, we start talking about music and how uh, we're probably the only two people at that church that listen to me without you. Um, and then he asked me if I will be a small group leader for uh, first and second grade girls. <laughs> so I said, sure. I used to work at the YMCA. Let's give it a go. Um, and the third day that I was there, this uh, this little girl, I caught her like, I don't know how to describe this with words. If one of you wants to see what I'm doing and then give a description. So imagine this glass I'm holding is a fish tank with tadpoles in it, right? So she's she's going like this. Like she's this. you're like shaking your head, wiggling it towards your glass. <laughs> like yes, mimicking exactly. a tadpole. Like, yeah, okay, yeah, I guess that's exactly what it was. And I said, Hey, what are you doing? And she said, This is how they communicate. She just starts doing that. And <laughs> she was so funny. And it was her it was her second time there so she came the second week after i did so i got kind of a a week to see a week to like actually be doing it which was her first week and this was her second week there i was like oh okay and she goes yeah 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 i can talk to them like that and i said oh, oh and she oh and you, you enjoy them do you really like animals and she said yeah i like animals more than people i used to have friends but they're all gone now which obviously with i've had i've had several friends that passed away um not just laura so it hit me really hard and i said well there are a lot of people here that you could probably make friends with so I kind of stayed in that role because I was committed to helping her find friends and I I will never forget a couple weeks later we're going outside we're playing on the playground because it's nice outside seeing her holding hands with one of the kindergartners and just running and saying I made a friend and this other girl going she's my new best friend I just started sobbing and I was like I'm sorry I've just been waiting for her to make (laughs) so beautiful and, and I'm trying to make friends and the somebody else that I was serving with he was like well, I'm your friend and I said what what do you mean he said we're we're friends like I'm coming to your show next week too and I was like okay <laughs> I guess we we all made friends it's beautiful so I stayed in kids for a long time and I still every once in a while will help did some worship stuff with them too and ended up being in a small group that was led by Dan 
and then everybody got married and I got shoved out and then I was in a different small group and then I was touring all the time. And it just, I was just, it was too inconsistent for me. And I, I just felt like I was six months behind every time I came back. Um, so that was hard, but yeah, pandemic yeah. was nice because we were all on the same page, but yeah, I don't know. I just haven't felt as connected. I think since the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, that was the exodus for a lot of people too, right? They're like, yeah. maybe they realize that they didn't, they're, they're used to going, they, they gone their whole lives. And then they're like, after like three months off, they're like, oh, I actually feel fine. And yeah. it was hard to go back. What about the um, 12th like Zoom church service that they tuned into where he's like, we're going to talk about having faith over fear. <laughs> they're like, ah. Uh, uh, my, Maybe I'm an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> my pastor actually talks a lot. Like, I think he's very good at walking the line between things that legally you're not allowed to say, like politically, like who you're voting for, things like that. But he would it get just doesn't say, stop a lot of them. <laughs> no, but he would do it in the best way because he would I, during one of the elections, he basically said, we're not going to tell you who we're voting for, but we will tell you that it's very clear that one candidate wants to help people and one wants to hurt people, isolate people. And he said, neither of them look like Jesus, but there's a fine line, you know, Christianity, we're, we're meant to serve, we're not tear people down just because they don't believe what we believe, et cetera, et cetera. So it was very, it was a very fun day because I'm looking around and I'm watching like the whole congregation, especially like the older, it's, it's in kind of a privileged area in Columbus, watching them like look around and kind of like whispering, like everyone is realizing that, he's going to vote for the democratic candidate. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's the liberal version of, well, I'm not going to tell you how to vote or who I'm going to vote for, but mm. I, all I know is that I'm tired of seeing babies getting murdered in the womb. And you're like, mm. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, ugh, they all was have their workarounds. I, my church had that, had the, that workaround <laughs> that was the church yeah. i grew up in <laughs> same yeah. same mine is yeah. a southern accent you know it's pretty bigoted to just instantly go to a southern accent whenever you want to just shit on conservatives so that's probably not the right word but maybe you can <laughs> you can if you want i grew up in new england I've, i live in massachusetts i've grown up in new england i've never i mean i wasn't until college that i lived somewhere else and e despite the fact that every fundamentalist i've ever met for the first 18 years of my life did not have an accent mm. i'll do the accent when i go fundamentalist my abusive ex had a southern accent so you can talk shit on it all you want <laughs> as far as i'm concerned just kidding i like southern accents i think they're i have one sometimes yeah <laughs> if i'm drinking it just comes out a lot of my family i don't know why they have a little bit of like a southern twang and it comes out i work hard to kind of not have it but you can hear it sometimes. And then I released the the song Taking Up Space and people were like, this kind of has some twang in it. And I was like, shit, shit, they know. Everyone knows. <laughs> people around here get the, uh, if they don't have an accent, get uh, they'll get a Boston accent when they're drinking or yelling. Mm, mm. That's our equivalent. What a miserable I've... population. <laughs> <laughs> we are, for the most part. It seems <laughs> that way. So you, and you have... You, did you have any like words or phrases where you felt like as you got older, you had to actively change the way you pronounce things? Did you do the work? 
No, I so I never really had the accent. Uh, so I didn't have to work towards it at all. Uh, but there are, yeah. Thank you for stating your privilege. It's just, heard, yes. it's understood. It is. Uh, I mean, I never had to learn how to enunciate my R's. Thankfully, it's clearly complicated for people, but I didn't have that burden in my life. That's fair. That's fair. I, I'm, I'm resisting accent urges. Yeah, Again. they see they always <laughs> sound good in your head, and then you do it, and you re that's a lot of instant regret when I try to do accents. That's why I re was reluctant to do an impression of you earlier too. I think you just have to like switch your voice up a couple six octaves. Although I, I'm, I'm not, scared. I think I don't fear. I think I've gotten to the point where I don't have retail voice when I'm talking about shit anymore. So I think uh, people will be very surprised <laughs> in interviews that I have my real voice because I used to talk like this is my real speaking voice, but people always thought I was mad at them because when I, you know, I work in customer service at a coffee shop or I'd, I'd be talking to people and it's always, you know, if, if they're t saying something nice, I'd be like, oh my God, thank you so much. And I mean it because I'm excited and my voice goes up when I'm being enthusiastic. So when I'm speaking to someone in my real voice, they're like, what did I do? She's so pissed at me right now. She's That's so hard. mad. I'll get texts. I just seem like you were kind of mad at me today. And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to be myself. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> retail voice is for sure a thing of going up a couple octaves. I, I've done some retail, but I used to, I had this incredibly shitty job in a call center. Mm. Uh, and so you're around like a dozen other people who are all reading the same script you are and at, in between calls everybody's talking and then you know like they get the beep in their headset and all of a sudden they go from just talking normal to like going up like a couple octaves like hey how's it going i'm so and so calling for whatever and you're like oh god it's, you don't hear it in yourself but then you hear it in other people and you're like am i doing that too and you definitely are yeah i do it a lot uh I also have like the with my friends, I kind of default to that weird baby voice all the time, especially if I'm asking for something. Uh, uh, I don't I don't know why. I don't know why it has been heavily established. I think it's because I foster kittens. So I talk about cats a lot. And a lot of people talk about animals with that very specific voice and I, you know exactly i'm looking at your faces you know what voice i'm talking about where it's like kind of like a baby you get, yes. off, you get a little bit high-pitched and they're just yeah, this little kid is so cute yeah please <laughs> senpai <laughs> that sort of thing and see did so good at the vet yesterday like just stuff like that but also <laughs> yeah my my i only have like a a few super close friends, but we use that voice if there's conflict or if we need to ask for something. I was oh just wondering God. if um maybe you could work my shift tomorrow, uh, because you said you would, but I think you forgot, like that kind of thing. It just my softens the blow. <laughs> my abusive ex, literally at one point, he told me he he looked at me. There's a lot of issues there, but I stopped using that voice for a long time. So I think I enjoy it now because it feels like um oddly empowering. <laughs> to uh, uh take myself back 17 years or so uh but he told me one time he was like yelled at me and was like you stop fucking talking like that and i was like i'm i'm sorry he's like when you talk to your fucking friends like that it makes me feel like a pedophile and i it was the first time i ever said anything back to him and i said well that sounds like a you issue which i did immediately <laughs> regret um because repercussions but also it's true that was not my problem <laughs> i realized yeah. that now, it is that, a strange yeah. thing to say yeah, I don't know. I think it was because it was something that showed a connection to someone else. You know what I mean? Like if me and my best friend were talking like that, but there are a lot of like 
isolation tactics and things like that that I I can see now. I'm just sure. a trauma queen. I am a trauma queen. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't a youth pastor, was he? No. Okay. Um, no. He was an Episcopalian. <laughs> that explains a lot. A just kidding. <laughs> sorry, Episcopalians. No. Yeah. I sorry. I try to. I try to not. I've never actually like outed him or like said his name um and i recently found out he's married now so it's just one of those things where i'm like i hope she's okay that was my first response i'm I'm still friends with his sister on facebook and i didn't know it so stuff from like his wedding popped up and i it it was a very it was a yeah it was it was it's an emotionally heavy day i'm sure yeah it just caught me off guard i actually drove through um ohio has drive-through liquor stores you can literally drive through and buy i went no way that's cool. I bought two red bottle, like two bottles of red wine, and I looked at the woman that was working. I brought her a cheesecake once. She's very nice, um, and I just said, "This is what just happened. I'm gonna drink both of these tonight." <laughs> she gave me her phone number. And she said, "If you need help later, you just give me a call." <laughs> that's a, that's got that I southern hospitality vibe. I drank one and a half, but I'm Italian, so that's like two glasses. Yeah, that's just getting hydrated. Yeah. Yeah. Trauma's fun, though. That's I everything. I don't know. I, I feel like the shit that I have gone through, it's it's been the community in the church and probably my mom, because she actually is an angel. Um, she hasn't come up very much because we've been talking about shady things, mostly. Um, <laughs> but I think those are the two things that have kept me here and have often motivated me to keep going. I actually had a, a big article so we're it's weird because we had to obviously i had the flu so we had to delay this and reschedule it so we are now having this conversation the day after uh like a a 12 page article and interview came out about why i actually paused doing music during the pandemic that was the result of a sexual assault that i didn't tell anybody about and i pushed everyone away that is also the same time that i stopped serving at my church because i just couldn't be around anybody who could tell that something was wrong because i i was on like the the cusp of taking my story back, you know, pushback came out. It wasn't about my abuser anymore. It was about me. It was about my struggles, how I wanted to connect with people. And then it was, uh, very shortly after that, like within two weeks, um, that happened. I was sexually assaulted again and I just, I couldn't handle it. So I just pretend it didn't happen. And anybody who could tell anyone was wrong, just away. And I, I just got to the point where I was like, if I want to do this, I don't keeping secrets has always felt like lying to me. And I understand I don't need to tell anybody that, but I did let a lot of people down and I, I did push a lot of people away in a very strategic um, kind of thing that I planned out. So people would think it was normal. I, I needed to make sure nobody asked what was wrong because I couldn't acknowledge it. So it, those people deserve an apology. You know, the, the people who supported me deserve to understand why I just didn't want to so sick of just being that like the, the victim survivor. I that's, Sure, that should yeah. divine it. So we're now in this where that came out yesterday. So for, you know, the past 24 hours, I've been getting so many messages from people and I, I have to, I have to be really careful going through them and take care of myself, which I've, I've learned how to do better at that. Uh, but it's also something where, like I said, last night I was, I was thinking about it because in that whole article, I'm talking about the friends I pushed away, family, I shut down industry people that I just, just burn the bridges with because I just couldn't I just fucking couldn't and not once in that article did I talk about how I stopped working in the children's ministry because I I just 
I couldn't, I couldn't get up in the morning to go to church. I just couldn't do it. And there, there's a lot. That's the theme of that. Couldn't, 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 couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm at a point where I've done so much work that I can. And I've, you know, apologized to friends, tried to reconnect with people, starting to do music again. And that's the, the biggest missing piece that I need to, I need to figure out where I am. I feel like a lot of this podcast, you know, and the conversations you have with people is, you know, obviously growing up a Christian and where you're at now. So I'm in a very weird season where I have to, I've, I've spent so much time doing work on myself by myself with, you know, not Christian therapists that my healing process that I needed to do psychologically for me, I had real tangible work that I needed to do that is not a, I'm just going to give it to God thing, which I've never been like that. I have control issues. So now I need to figure out how, how me taking care of myself and reconnecting with people works. Basically what I'm saying is I need to fucking go back to church and I'm going to go on Sunday and just see what happens. I'll be your, uh, I'll be your accountability buddy on this one. You're <laughs> uh, message you on Sunday and see if you went, um, what, so how okay, long has so it I'll, been? I'll post, I'll post it. Uh, well, I've got, I have gone. So like the Christmas services, um, it's, it's been December, I think December of last year I did go and they called, um, cause they were short staff for people. And I was supposed to do help with worship for the kids service, which is one of my favorite things. I filled in on worship here and there. Um, 2021, I did do, I was doing some tours. So I didn't want to commit to a new group of students, especially following the pandemic, because I wasn't going to consistently be there. Um, I felt like stability with a leader was something those kids probably needed. So if I'm going to be gone every other month with touring, it just didn't seem fair to them. So I was still helping lead worship um, occasionally, you know, like maybe every other week for a couple months. Then it, it, I was gone and I went on tour with Machine Gun Kelly. And then I felt like I couldn't go. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Um, I, <laughs> I was like, what? That was what? my joke. I, okay. Did you see I, my face? I was like, okay, we're going to have to stop here for a moment. No, I mean, <laughs> I did go on tour with Machine Gun Kelly. I was working for another artist, but uh and he's actually play, great. I well, I was just shocked by like the juxtaposition of musical stuff. So it was with you weren't playing music. Mm-mm. No, okay. I, well, I was playing guitar and tour managing for another artist. Okay, I'd pre- and I'd prefer to leave the conversation at that. But okay, Colson <laughs> uh, is great. He's a really nice person. Everybody on Machine Gun Kelly's team was awesome. Um, but yeah, so that was the joke. I just actually had a lot of stuff going on when I got back and was trying to work on my own music stuff, and had to work at the coffee shop job on Sundays because we had a couple people leave. So it was something where I just needed time to readjust then filled in here and there. And I really felt like my return to the community was going to be last Christmas. I had uh, a couple children's services. I was going to help with worship and, and be a team leader at one of the services, but we had the biggest snowstorm of the season that day. It started the night before and I live an hour away from my church. So they reached out. I I think they ended up canceling all the services anyway, but they didn't want me. To, it was like, I think a level two snow emergency goes up to level three here, which is okay. only emergency vehicles are permitted on the road. If you drive in a level three, you'll get arrested. So they, uh, they told me not to come and I haven't been to a service in person since like the week before that. Okay. So when you are okay, yeah, six months. Gonna jump back a little bit. I think if, if any of 
the way I explain this sounds like it lacks empathy. Please just point that out. But I'll punch you. I'll I know, but I'm thinking of like you have these you have these experiences that you don't want to share with anybody. Um, for I mean, because it's deeply personal and obviously difficult to talk about. And I think what's interesting is most people like you yourself probably uh, would have if you had known someone who'd gone through a similar experience, your heart would have gone out to them very sincere. Like that's what people, that's generally the reaction that we, I think what I'm trying to say is people are afraid to share with people knowing that if someone shared with them similar information, they would be like, you would, you'd be like, Oh my God, like what can right. we do? And I, that's all mm -hmm. of humanity. Everyone's doing that constantly. They, you just, I will, that's, it's different for me. And I don't know if that's some like ego or God complex that people have, or just, Oh, it's different for me. It's um, uh, just the internal. It is shame. just like, I don't want to rehash this over and over and over again for, you know, 10 different people. Right. Right. Was there anything that was like particularly like stuck out to you is like surprising in the way that uh, it played out uh, after you started being open about your experiences or. Um, well, I think so the first time when I was writing songs about my abusive relationship, that was different because I kind of had the safety net of releasing the songs and then playing them. And uh, I wanted to be really intentional about, uh, verbalizing a trigger warning before playing some of those songs live. So it was something where I didn't realize how much a lot of people in the music scene I was playing in, like going on tour with like Knucklepuck, Boston Man, or the Wonder Years. In that music scene, how many women needed to hear from another woman that they had been through that? Mm. Because it's not something, I mean, you've, you've we've got a lot of pop punk songs that guys are writing about some dude being shitty to another girl. You know, we have that. <laughs> we have genre. we have that. Or about, you know, a girl being shitty, <clears throat> the story so far. Anyway, so but there's <laughs> not there's not a lot of um female fronted projects in the the spotlight or, you know, touring with those bands, getting on stage and singing a song about an abusive relationship or assault or rape and saying that hey, this is what this is about. It happened to me. Um, you deserve people in your life who support you and your ability to change. Change is possible, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm not saying there are no other female artists writing about those kind of experiences because there are plenty. I just had this privilege of having a great team who got me on these tours where I was saying that. So a lot of people who only go to those bigger tours hadn't had that experience. So mm -hmm. I think the surprising part was how many people were coming up to me after shows and I would be at the merch table for two, three hours, just talking to people about how hearing that song made them feel like they weren't alone, how it inspired them to tell other people that it, it had happened to them. So uh, that that was shocking. Um, this time around, I think I knew people would be really supportive, but I was too ashamed to say anything because I thought I would react differently. Like mm -hmm. I thought I have all the support. I know people are there for me. I know statistically, if this has happened to you once, it's way more likely that it'll happen to you again. And a lot of that is because uh, predators will prey on people who are empathetic and compassionate. So that's one of the statistics there. But I felt like the way I reacted was not this badass persona of, you know, woman scorned that I thought it would be. So I felt like I was disappointing myself and disappointing everybody else. So and I know that's not true. I understand that's not true. Um, I, 
I wasn't ashamed because of what somebody else did to me. I was ashamed of my reaction. And I think that's what it was. It wasn't, um, yeah, I didn't want sympathy. It wasn't because I was like, I can deal with this myself. It was because I didn't want it to be true. And if nobody else knew and it was just my little thing, then I could just erase it. Shit doesn't work like that. Trauma doesn't work like that. It just builds up. Funny thing about trauma. Mm Mm-hmm. Snowballs. Even if you don't realize it, you know, you're yelling at an old lady because she's walking in the crosswalk when you're at a red light. And then you're like, oh, this is not her fault. Yeah. Her hat is fine. I'm not offended by her (laughs) red hat, even though she's wearing it with a green jacket. I'm not offended. I work with uh, kindergarten and first graders uh, at a school as an adjustment counselor. And it's in a district that's a lot of DCF involvement uh, or whatever you would call it in your area, but like yeah. Department of Children and Families, CPS, whatever. Um, and it's so wild working with kids in that age group and that population that are so heavily traumatized because you see the way it comes out when they are under some sort of stress or duress. And like they go from like, you know, making choices to not making choices and just reacting right. and responding to events or setting events or antecedents and you're just like holy shit like you just you sit like for like a you know you meet them and for the like, they might be new to the school or whatever and you're just like for the first five days it's just like perfect i'm like wow what a sweet kid this kid's amazing and then like they set in and something happens mm-hmm. and like the the way that their bodies react and the way that trauma affects your responses that they're not you're not they're not calculated responses they're just you know tra- obviously trauma responses and it's mm-hmm. It's fucking wild uh, what it does to you. Uh, so I think that it's like trying to explain it or make sense of it is like a very challenging because you like you as a, I imagine so as an adult, too, who's had traumatic experiences where you, you know, you're we're set on trying to make sense of the world around us and rationalize our experiences. And it's like to to maybe try to set yourself on that path and have things not work out the way that you told yourself they would based on how you respond to the next thing that comes up. It's like, I imagine that's confusing and and hard to work through. Well, one of the things I was talking about in that interview is we put so much emphasis on um, healing and the process of it, how it's not linear, Mm -hmm. how it's different for everybody, but we don't really talk about um, like, okay, healing from a traumatic incident, like, I'll obviously just use like sexual assault. We can learn how to like deal with the thoughts we're having, um, our responses, things that make us feel unsafe, like feeling comfortable, feeling confident again. We can work through all of that stuff as, as, as our healing process, but healing doesn't necessarily teach you how to deal with it if it happens again, because Mm -hmm. a lot of healing is convincing yourself that it won't happen again, which is, it's we because you need to believe you absolutely need to believe if something like that happened to you, that it was a one time thing that you're yeah, free. You like from have it. to believe you're safe. Like it's like yes. life's about convincing. That's why you don't get that's why you can drive to your job and not think about death statistics. That's like you you just have to believe you're safe in this world. Yeah. So then when something happens that shows you, oh, you're not like you're still susceptible to this thing. It's terrifying. And that's I think that's why I. It, I needed to accept the truth I accepted before that, but I don't know. And sometimes being healed is equally as hard as healing because you see the person that you are now. And if you had been that person before, it would have gone totally, totally differently. You want to hear the the last like trauma bomb in the the series of like shit things that happened? 
I don't I didn't talk about this in my other interview. Um, So I decided to start playing music, releasing music, going really, really hard again last year. So I started with a festival. I had a couple other shows booked. So I played a festival last June that I put on benefit fundraiser. Super excited. First time playing my record that came out during the pandemic. All this stuff. Saw a lot of old friends. And then a couple of weeks later, one of my friends who was at that show, who I'd been friends with for 17 years, died. Oh, my God. Um. So I went to her. I went to her funeral on my ex-boyfriend's birthday and then drove to a family vacation on a beach. And she had two kids that just and she's just amazing, an amazing, amazing person. But she was uh, my friend, Laura, that died by suicide. She was her other best friend. So the anniversary of that suicide. Nice of Laura's was this past May 21st. So I'm driving home from a show and I realize it's 1 a.m. So I pull out my phone and I go to text my friend, Rachel, that passed away. Cause that's what I did every year. And then I was like, oh, I can't, I can't. After Rachel died, Laura's dad looked at me and said, and then there was one. So I was like, are you fucking kidding Ooh. me? Why were they all dead when I've tried so many times? And then <laughs> you can laugh at, you can laugh at that. You can, it's, like it's a joke. I think that there's a valid reason that I'm still here. Um, and I'm going to die a natural way. And I'm going to do probably a lot of really fucking cool stuff before then. Probably a lot of really stupid stuff, too. And I'm excited to see what all of those days look like now. Um, but, yeah, that was my last little trauma bomb. And now I have, I you know, I put out new music after that. And I have shows coming up. And I have, like, festival things. And I'm talking to strangers like you guys again. And... I think Yay. it'll. I think it'll be good. Yay, strangers! I yeah, because it, it's it is interesting. Uh, one of the things that we had talked about was um, I had first reached out almost almost two years ago, and when you when I had finally, but I'd left it. You know, I don't. I reach out mm. to a lot of people. Sometimes yeah, I do that. I move on. Um, sometimes I'll follow up. Sometimes I'll follow up quite some time later, and then you're like, the when we when I followed up. Again, it was like years late, almost two years later. It was like, yeah, this was like after hearing your story. But one of the things you said to me was like, it's actually a much better time to do this now. And now yeah. listening to your story, it's like, yeah, it probably wasn't the best time for you to want to be uh, doing a bunch of interviews. and. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I, I was. On. I already was because pushback had just come out. Oh, so okay, you would yeah. have been talking to. A robot like before before we hit record when i was saying you know i had a list of things that i had to say i can talk about this don't ask about this um if i what say were this, some of those things? i'd love that kind of stuff so you were saying before we recorded that when you, you're in the industry there was a list of things that they told you you couldn't talk about or the interviewers couldn't ask about what were like a few of them that were well, interesting a lot of it was stuff um like you know upcoming releases normal stuff like that where it's like oh this will probably come out before we announce this tour, like, or this music video, or, you know, it's saying things like that, which is like pretty standard. Um, but I had a label rep remind me that we were moving away from my trauma image. That's it's just not working for us. <laughs> we're, you wanted to move away from that. So make sure they know that they're not allowed to ask you about that. And I was like, well, I mean, I feel like it's, it's like really prevalent with, my career and the fan base and it is part of my platform um but to be totally honest they tried to steer me away from anything i'm going to say this but i would also prefer not to go past it um i was associated with a couple of people who had allegations come out 
who weren't really in my life anymore at that point, but they, they were like, you can't say anything that will potentially lead someone to those questions because gotcha. you're not allowed to talk about that. And that was a big thing where I was like, I would love to talk about that. Uh, not in like a problematic way, not in like a, like a, well, a defending anybody way, just in a, Hey, I like, this is triggering for me. I have a side in this experience too. Mm-hmm. So if people have a problem with me talking about that, that I don't really care, but obviously, you know, there's like industry things that you have to yeah, to do. I also wasn't supposed to talk about how I was uh, almost 30. You were they didn't want you to talk about you. Why do they keep doing what a that? sex that that is like I, it's funny. I you know what it's actually heartwarming to know that that kind of sexism is still alive and well. That's I know I love America, it. God bless. Like no, I love I, it. And now don't like, tell they, anyone that you're almost 30 and stop talking about myocarditis. Yeah, we need <laughs> we need people in their 50. No, okay. I'll move on from Yeah, no, I, I don't like, like the do direction that. those jokes were going in. <laughs> Um, uh, no, I would I would like to be I, that's honestly one of the big reasons that now it's like, fuck you. There's a uh, on the pandemos, there's a song called whatever that sounds like this real nice 80s pop song. And at the end of it, it says, uh, fuck you to the people who said that I missed my moment in 2021. I took my story back and someone stole it. And that's like about everything we talked about. But also, I just some of the people I worked with some really great industry people and my my trauma responses created situations that it's good we parted ways because I think it would still be rough to work out my my fault my failures but my goodness some of the people that I worked with in this professional music industry it's so weird to be a fucking product like I'm a person yeah yeah. that's I know that I know that you you probably forgot especially in this conversation but like I'm a human who like breathes and I have skin that has nerves that are attached to me and I can hear things that people say and I can see shit that people are doing, but, and I have, I have a lot of feelings also. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I'm not just a product and that's how it is. And like, especially as a solo artist and as a woman, you are a product with an expiration date. And that expiration date either happens when you hit a certain age or when you decide you're too old to do dance videos on TikTok or um, you decide you don't want to um, shift your entire image by making sure you post five selfies a week, three of which need to include your whole body. Yeah, That's sounds, the shit I don't yeah. want to do. What, yeah. what is this like? Because it's especially weird considering that like you're an artist and- I don't know. I just feel like if if you're a if you're a company that brings an artist on board that especially has built like a a fan base to date, like you've built that fan base because people are like connecting with who you are and how you're representing yourself. And like I don't understand this impulse to like you get like these, you know, suit and type maybe not in the record industry, but like these suit and type people that like it's like, hey, I'm on the ground here. I see what people respond to and what they don't. Like, I've gotten to this point without you. Like, why are you trying to interject now and tell me how I can, like, do me better? You know, it doesn't it just doesn't make sense. It's like it's it's compromising, like the relationship that you have with your audience. If you're not authentic, it just reminds me of, like when I started out in in like the industry i'm in you know initially like all the old guys were like you need to wear a tie 
respectable people wear ties. And if you go into a meeting and you don't have a tie on, everybody's just going to look down on you. And so you go into these meetings and it's like, nobody here is wearing a tie. <laughs> I feel ridiculous. I'm doing like hands-ons. I'm working on a car with a tie on like an idiot. <laughs> like this is not the case anymore. Why are you making me do this? You know? And I, I just right. don't, it's, it's so ridiculous in, in that like artistic realm to try to like force and sterilize, you know, a person's image and, and, and try to, you know, take control of their branding. Yeah. I will say I worked with, um, Lindsay Burns, who is, uh, she was my creative director for pushback and she is the greatest thing that happened to me during that record cycle because she is amazing. So there are certain things that, you know, if the, the label wanted like quote unquote sexier, pictures or whatever or like wanted me to do hot girl shit I guess which has never been my thing at all um it was they wanted that and but Lindsay's approach with me was not like oh we have to give the label this it would be this is what the label wants is there you know is there comp what do you want is there a compromise that you're comfortable with you know to the extent of me saying I've you know the way I grew up coming out of abusive relationships being in abusive or being in relationships where if I posted something like that, like even beach day, swimsuit, top jeans, whatever, it was always an issue for someone in my life. So it made me really insecure and really ashamed of that stuff. And I remember one day uh, during a photo shoot, Lindsay said, you're hot. You're, you're fucking hot. You're beautiful. You're, you're pretty. And you're allowed to feel like that. So let's take some pictures that make you feel fucking hot. You don't have to post them if you don't want to, but you deserve to feel like that. And that, especially, you know, from another female that is, I didn't have a lot of close female relationships growing up. So it is the, the snap your fingers, gas up your girls kind of mentality that I never had. And w the photos we ended up taking that day, I still look at them and I'm like, who is she? And it's not, it's, it's because I felt confident for the first time in probably six years. And that's something I I carry with me all the time. Like even now, if I'm going to like post something on social media, I have moments where I'm like, Lindsay would love this. And it's just like <laughs> her, her voice is one that stayed encouraging in my head. And also when I was going through some rough stuff, she was the one uh, she, I didn't talk to her about everything, but she hit a point where she was like, is this what you want to do? Cause if you don't want to do it, I don't care. I don't fucking care. I love you. And I want you to be happy. But if this isn't what you want to do, you don't have to do it. So it was, I don't know. She's, um, she's an angel. And I think anybody who's ever worked with her, she's like, she's a photographer and a creative director that is like t t a tiny life coach just by fucking existing. I could praise her for days. So Lindsay Burns is amazing. Um, and that is the hill I will die on. Thank you. Shout, Shout out Lindsay Burns. <laughs> Shout out Lindsay Burns. And your brother, um, Ken. I, uh, I know we've had you on for a while. I, I have one more question uh, about your new music and what's going on. And then we can uh, start wrapping up unless you have anything you're dying to get off your chest. But um, we, no. um, yeah. So new album, 2023, it seems like, so I know, you know pandemic uh, made a big shift in what artists could do. Um, obviously your, some of your mental health struggles over the past few years, made touring probably also a challenge and putting yourself out there um as far as 
the capacity. I feel like I saw something where you had talked about maybe in a maybe an Instagram post or something about the capacity in which you were touring and how what that's like and in, in your level of commitment to to being on the road frequently versus when you can and also that you found a lot of satisfaction in managing this coffee shop uh that you do like where where are you at with all of that in like kind of like gung-ho back onto the road full speed ahead with the whole with music versus um the life that you've kind of built where you are doing the things that you like in the area you live okay so i still have um i have a lot of foster kittens here right now um i I was very (laughs) tempted to set up up there but it would have every five seconds i would have been like down no no or been like oh look how cute he is so i said (laughs) i'll be professional ish i guess handsome jeffy Um, you did get to meet jeffy that is a uh that is one of my partner's cats who has become my son as well but that is the cat that's like his baby very very like big his baby jeffy's got fat face the way that i picked him up (laughs) i know i'm on a tangent but if you guys could take a screenshot of that i think that's we need that. That's the we thumbnail. Oh, yeah. Honestly. He's a little plumper. <laughs> Anyways, okay. So you can also edit me talking about Jeffy out if you want. Um, we won't. Perfect. That's what we love to hear. Um, But yeah, so I have some foster kittens that I still need to rehome. This is the last batch uh, we're doing. I'm also keeping one of them because he's blind and I'm obsessed with him i ordered him a harness and a leash today so you know i have those things um but i think i always pushed myself so hard it it wasn't necessarily how often i was touring it was just that i only saw worth in myself when i was touring so when i came home um i was so depressed like and and it was not just the post-tour blues that went away i came home and i could hardly function which is why i started working at coffee shops again like i did before tour i found um a nice coffee shop in Columbus that I had worked at previously that would just let me work as much as I wanted to when I was home and, um, you know, then go back on tour. Um, during the pandemic though, that was really my only option was going back to those coffee shops. Um, but I went from the one in Columbus back to one I started working at right when I turned 16, which I managed, I, I helped run it for a couple of years and I came back under the, um, under the agreement that, I was not going to be a manager. I would help with extra stuff that needed done, but I was just there to work, to help during a short period of time. And that was in October of 2020. Um, Now I'm a manager at that shop uh, and I work almost 40 hours a week. And I kind of just had, I don't know. I, I think that I sort of was in this like trauma pause and it was like I was disassociating for two years. And then I woke up and was like, whoa, what the fuck? (laughs) Like, what, what is this? So then it's, you know, picking apart the parts of life here that I settled into because I enjoy them or like what felt safe because I needed that at the time. And what um, did I kind of fall backwards into because it was comfortable and I needed comfort. And I I think the coffee shop is one of those things. It's It's the first place I ever played music at an open mic night when I was 15. And, you know, I booked shows there and gave back to the community that I needed when I was growing up, which is art community in a farm town, basically. But it's it's time for me to go or I'm going to get stuck forever. So I actually just talked to the owner a couple months ago about how I need to start transitioning out. You know, that's I have some other shows coming up this year that haven't been announced yet. I 
have some songs I'm working on that are not going to be released as demos that um, are actually going to be recorded in a studio or at least sent to a studio and then back to me and then back to the studio. Um, as far as touring, ideally, I would like to tour next spring, but that's also where the, oh, I accidentally uh, and kind of purposely cut all of my industry ties. So it's it's a lot of work. It's more work than the first time because it's not it's harder to come back than it is to start, which most people would probably disagree with that. But you've I've already projected myself to a lot of people who went to bat for me as someone who's not reliable and who won't do the work, mm -hmm. which is the exact opposite of how I was for years and years and years. So I think everybody just thought I got burnout and was done. Um and I wasn't, I just, I needed a break and I didn't know how to verbalize that. So now it's building new relationships and starting from the ground up, which I'm actually kind of excited about because I did get to a point where I would be home and I would look at local, you know, local lineups for shows and not know anybody. So now I'm like, oh yeah, this show is coming up in Columbus. And like this guy who's in this band also plays in these two bands and they're really good. And, you know, they just started uh, this community art fundraiser thing. So being back in touch feels so good. It makes me feel human again and less producty. Um, but yeah, so that basically I would like to, we'll manifest it right now. I would like to put out a small EP of something that's kind of special at the end of the year. Um, I would like to release a couple singles that are not related to that for either an EP or full length to come out in spring. So, I mean, the song as I wrote instead of killing myself, were literally just here are demos I recorded. This is how they're recorded. I'm not re-recording anything. This is where I was. This is the story that you missed. This is me filling in the gaps. So maybe if you get it, you'll get it. And now that I have all this off my chest, let's fucking go. I love that. I'm looking forward to it. I hope you, uh, I hope I see you, uh, some shows pop up in Massachusetts. Me too. Me too. Um, I'm going to try to get, um, the, the girls that run the morbid podcast to come out. That's my goal. That's my goal. Oh, there you go. The morbid like the, podcast. That's the happening show. You have, you've never listened to it. Ooh, it's uh... a true crime podcast, but they're funny. <laughs> I, I, yeah, they're funny. They also, they just started another podcast called, uh, the rewatcher that's been out for a couple months and they're rewatching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and giving a run through and talking about it. One of them has seen it. The other one hasn't and is watching it for the first time. I'm obsessed with that show to the point where my mom banned it from me when I was in like fifth grade because she thought I was too obsessed with it. Um, I love Occult it. So influences. There's a lot of joy. A lot of joy in that show. In the musical <laughs> episode, I'm I... pretty sure that's why I'm in bands. I've never seen an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have... <laughs> thought about um recently i've been seeing some <laughs> bits and pieces of some episodes of seventh heaven popping up and i oh, thought yeah. uh just just a i've never seen an episode of that but i thought maybe uh running through that whole series could be filled with entertainment at least on a personal level mm. i'm doing it, a podcast running through that series about all of the uh like problematic fundamentalist aspects of that that would not hold up if they came out in a tv show today would be interesting yeah, there's insane. I mean, I keep seeing all these like insane plot lines and like the the ultra drama revolving around inconsequential things is incredible. Yeah, that's the Christian I just community. It I thought nutshell. the oldest sister was hot, so Jessica Biel. Yes. But specifically, is that who it was? yes, but specifically yes. <laughs> in that series, I was like, she's hot. and she. Outside of that, it was like she's a cool girl. I would, I would 
like to hang out with her. But in that one, I was like, why is she hot? I think it's because in my like little little child, not out of the closet gay brain, I I think I was just like, mm, she's in a really conservative Christian family. I'm not allowed to like her. That's <laughs> <laughs> the taboo element. It's always mm-hmm. the taboo element. Yeah. Uh, the uh, disequilibrium and desire. The way that those anyway. Jessica Beale. <laughs> I got a little fruit. I got a little woody for Tuckle Carlson myself. <laughs> that's he, that's who you that's I where like go. that little that little Tucker pomp. Oh man. <laughs> that face. You like that confused schoolboy face. <laughs> exactly. Just want to Tucker feel it. Carlson sounds like <laughs> an action, like a slang term for doing something. It doesn't sound like a name. It sounds you know, like I, a made up country stage hot, name. So that I could Tucker Carlson and you know what I mean. You know what I'm saying. That's all it sounds like to me. Gave him the old Tucker Carlson. It's yeah. like a, it's like the it's his his name is basically Cleveland Steamer. <laughs> I think we need to define what like the Tucker Carlson is. Like if you say, yeah, Tucker Carlson, um, we, we have to make something up. It has to be good, and we need to get it on Urban Dictionary or this entire conversation oh, it's, we've it's had a waste. it's a failure we have failed <laughs> oh okay i'm 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 thinking i'm thinking <laughs> i want it to be something that you don't feel comfortable putting on your podcast we'll just put it on urban dictionary and then people who get invested in this can just check back once a week and then when it finally pops up they'll be like oh shit that's where they went that <laughs> it's not the direction oh, wow that <laughs> everything i can think of is just just over the top gross exactly <laughs> that's it it's a weird one to brainstorm because it takes a lot of bad ideas to get to the right one and those bad ideas might put you on a watch list somewhere so i think we should just i mean goals just wait for the uh the final product <laughs> I would love it to be somebody else holding me back from doing things. So put me on a watch list so I can finally say it's not my fault. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Kelsey, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us, sharing your story. This has been great. Thanks for having me at um, a more opportune time instead of talking to a robot version of myself a couple years ago. I I appreciate you guys listening to me, me spew all of this. Well, it feels like just like uh, you spelled out some of your experiences, I'm going to chalk this one up to divine providence and it working out this way. I'll take it. Maybe they'll talk about it at church on Sunday. We'll see. Yeah, I I had a sermon I was going to give, but uh, I feel like there's somebody here today who needs to talk about a podcast. They just did a little (laughs) callback earlier when I was in sixth grade. Okay, I'm going to shut up now. I'm going to say thanks and then I'm going to stop talking. So thank you. Oh, God. I just had a thought. Like, remember when they used to in church, they would be like they would open up the floor and just be like, does anybody have something a blessing that they want to share? Like how many of those in the last like 10 years has started with? I was listening to a podcast uh, earlier this week. And (laughs) oh, God, I jumped through a stained glass window if I heard that. That's probably that regardless. Sorry, I said I was going to shut that's up. That's how all of them would start. Yes, that's uh, now. <laughs> it used to be I was listening to uh, AM radio or Rush Limbaugh, but things have changed. Earlier this week, uh, Gary V really laid something on my heart, and uh, I thought I'd share. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Listening to Rush Limbaugh, my dad's Cadillac growing up was like another point of trauma that I should probably unpack in a, an upcoming therapy session. Okay, that's the last thing I'm yeah, going to say because it a... is relatable to plenty, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We that's a thread that everyone uh... <laughs> from our generation shares. No <laughs> Rush Bow. Well, uh, thanks everybody for listening, and we will see you next time.